Well, good morning. morning. Happy New Year. Uh, We uh, had a good time together Wednesday night with the Elder Forum and had a chance to uh, wish people Happy New Year then, uh, but uh, we have not met since last year as far as uh, worship is concerned. So we're into 2024. We're really, really excited about this year uh, and very, very thrilled to be going through the book of Exodus with you. Uh, This is going to be an incredible journey. Um, This is probably a good time to put in the shameless plug for the sermon uh, notebooks. If you didn't pick one up and you'd like to get one so you can take notes this morning, feel free, go on out there, grab one. There's white, there's plum, which is really, in my opinion, red, but uh, those are your two colors and we'd love for you to take one home with you. You have uh, probably heard the phrase that God's ways are not our ways. Well, um, it's, a, it's a true statement, and it's taken from Isaiah chapter 55, uh, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, uh, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts." And this truth is clearly seen in the book of Exodus. And since God's ways are not our ways, we need to be mindful of the fact that God's plan for our lives and for the world may not make sense to us at times. It may confound us. So what are we to do when we can't make heads or tails of what God is doing in our lives, around us, in our world? What are we to do when we can't see any rhyme or reason to what is happening around us, when nothing seems to make sense, when we don't understand what God is doing or why? Well, I believe the answer to that, to those questions, though simplistic in nature, is nonetheless true. And that is, in those times, we need to remember God's promises, and and we need to trust Him. Remember His promises and trust Him. Let's commit this time to the Lord in prayer. Father, I do thank you for um, our time together here this morning to worship you. We thank you for this book that we're about to embark on, um, to study it, to learn more of you, of ourselves, and of what you require of us. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be our teacher and our guide um, as we begin this journey together. In Christ's name, amen. So, This morning, as with any time we end up uh, starting a new study, uh, we need to spend some time talking about the the book, uh, the history, the background, the occasion, and so forth and so on. And the book of Exodus um, picks up where Genesis left off. Uh, In it, we see the greatness and the power and the majesty of God, as well as his holiness, his faithfulness, and his love. You know, Exodus is a remarkable story of redemption and deliverance, but not just for the Jews, for us 
as well. And you go, well, how in the world can an event that took place thousands of years ago really be about us? Because, well, Exodus points to a greater Savior than Moses. It points to a greater deliverance than from Egypt. It points to freedom from the bondage of sin. And it points to Jesus. Now, it's very interesting. I did not know this before I began my study in this book, but uh, the book in Hebrew is called Names. That's an interesting name for a book, but it's based out of verse 1 where it says, and these are the names of the sons of Israel. And in the Greek Septuagint, which is the translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, got the name Exodus, which means a departure or a going out. And Exodus is the second book of the first five books of the Bible. In uh, Hebrew scriptures, it's referred to as the Torah or the law or instruction. And in the Septuagint, it's referred to as the Pentateuch. And you guys know Penta, five, so it's five books or five volumes. Now, Moses is believed to be the author uh, by both Christians and Jews, although there, there may be some parts of uh, Exodus that are written um, by someone else, uh, especially those parts that refer uh, to Moses in the third person. But Jesus himself attributed these writings to Moses, and you can see that in the Gospels. The genre of the book is what is known as historical narrative, and it records historical events, speeches, commandments, and covenant instructions. Now, there's some uncertainty about the events uh, of, of, of the book of Exodus and when it took place. There is an early date of about 1446 B.C., and then there's a later, a later date of 1260 B.C., and you can kind of see that uh, up here on the screen. You'll notice the date for Exodus there, and then you come down here to Moses' birth, and you can see how it's changed, um, and then down here, the desert wanderings, and so forth and so on. Um, there are good reasons why evangelical scholars differ on the dates, and we're not going to spend time going into it. I just wanted you to know that there is some um, uh, argument as to uh, when the exodus actually occurred. And, and fortunately for us, no matter when it occurred, it has no bearing on the historicity or the, or the significance of these events for our lives. Now, the story takes place mainly in Egypt, as you can see with this next slide, and it occurs in Egypt and in around the Sinai Peninsula. Uh, Moses received his call uh, over here from Midian in this area here, so he traveled all the way from up here, all the way to the land of Midian, where he received his call from God. And um, the map also shows one possible um, exodus um, uh, from Egypt and crossing of the Red Sea. You'll, you'll notice that up here. But there are actually 
other uh, thoughts as to where the, the people of Israel may have crossed the Red Sea. Uh, back in Moses' day, the Red Sea would have gone up much further, as you can kind of see from these various lakes here. You've got the Bitter Lakes, uh, Lake Timsah here. Um, some people have postulated that they crossed over here or down here around the Bitter Lakes. Uh, but in any event, we know that um, God did an amazing miracle in leading the people out of Egypt. And we'll be getting to that here um, in a few weeks. Exodus is a story of redemption. But the overarching theme of the book is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham to make him into a, a great nation. It is... Uh, an amazing promise that he then extends to Abraham's son Isaac and then later to Jacob. The book is, is about remembering his covenant, about delivering his people from bondage in Egypt and instructing them how to live as his chosen people. And although the book highlights the faithfulness of God's servant Moses, the book is not about Moses. The book is really about God, and there is so much that we can learn about him. In it, we learn God's personal name. You know, there are many titles for God, but, but in the book of Exodus, he reveals his name to us, to Moses, and it's represented by four Hebrew consonants, Y-H-Y-H, which is and I think rightly pronounced, Yahweh. And it's translated Lord with a capital L in most English translations. The book reveals the character of God and many of his attributes. It showcases his power, his patience, his long-suffering, his holiness, and his glory. In it, we See God remember his promises to his people. He rescues them from bondage. He punishes evildoers, and he forgives those who repent. The purpose of the book is to make clear that Yahweh alone is God. Uh, it, it becomes very clear when you start looking at, at it, slowing down as you're reading through it, it, it it's clear that, that he wants everyone to know He's the only God. He has no rivals. Only Yahweh can set people from the bondage of, of, of slavery. He alone has all power and might. Only Yahweh is deserving of our allegiance and our love and our worship. And the book makes clear that salvation is holy of God. Now, Exodus divides into two halves, we could subdivide it and whatever, but, but really just understand the first 18 uh, chapters uh, is the first half that surrounds the rescue of God's people from Egypt and leading them to Mount Sinai. And then in chapters 19 through 40, you have the second half of the book, which deals with the giving of the law of God, establishing his covenant with his people and giving them instructions on how to live and, and how he wants to be worshipped. This is a conversation Trevor and I have all the time. Is that when we come to worship, we don't worship the way we want to worship. 
we worship the way God wants to be worshiped. So we have to understand, what, how, what, what is it? How does God desire to be worshipped? And we're going to touch on that a little bit later on in our study. The key verses, in my opinion, come from chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord." You see it? Clearly, we see that this book, more than anything else, is about God himself. And he wants us to know that. So with the introductory material sort of out of the way, I want to try to answer the question, why study Exodus? Well, first of all, and I mentioned this Wednesday, it's a part of Holy Scripture. The Bible tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. It's, it's a part of God's inspired word. And second, we have the responsibility as, as pastors is to, to, to proclaim the whole counsel of God. Um, we have something what's called a, a scope and sequence where we track the things that we teach on uh, every year. And so it's been interesting that it, it, since I've been here anyway, since 2015, each year you get to check off these boxes for the books that we have been preaching on. And part of that is just so that we remember, oh yeah, we preached on that. We don't need to preach on it yet. Again, we need to preach on something else. So um, uh, don't worry. One day we'll get to Leviticus. So uh, another reason why we want to study the book of of Exodus is that it is the definitive saving event in the Old Testament. And it is central to the scriptures, to the gospel, and to the Christian life. Tony Merida, in his commentary, um, Exalting Jesus in Exodus, said this, that in, in Exodus, he says, the gospel appears everywhere in pattern, type, theme, development, and foreshadowing, which is quite amazing. So if we truly desire to know Jesus, then we must learn about him, not just from the New Testament, but from the Old Testament. In John chapter 1, verse 45, John records Philip, um, who, who found Nathanael and said, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And did you catch that? We have found him of whom Moses wrote. Moses wrote the book of Exodus, the first five books of the Old Testament. And so we, we see that they were able to recognize who Jesus was from the Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament reveals to us much about our, our Savior. Now, let me ask you a question. 
Who was it that saved the Israelites out of Egypt? Think about it for a moment. Most of you are going to say God, right? Somebody may have thought Moses, but God would be the right answer. But would you be surprised to learn that, yes, it was God, but more specifically, that it was Jesus? Well, how could that be? Jesus didn't come until, you know, 1,500 years later. Well, the Bible tells us that it was Jesus. Well, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is God. Don't believe me? Look at Jude chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. There's only one chapter in Jude. Jude writes, he says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. You see what I'm saying about seeing Jesus in the Old Testament? The New Testament writers were able to do that. The truth is, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. The fourth reason we want to study this book is that we cannot fully understand our identity as the people of God without a proper understanding of the Exodus. In studying this book, I think we will better understand our spiritual roots and what it means to be the people of God. And we will understand not only who God is, but who we are as a result of that. And another reason, and there are many more, I'm just going to give you five. The fifth reason for studying this book is that it aids us in proclaiming the gospel to others. Jesus and the apostles all preached the gospel beginning with Moses in the Old Testament. I don't know if you ever thought about that. But if they began preaching the gospel from the Old Testament, maybe we ought to do it as well. Look at Luke chapter 24. Jesus says, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This was the conversation that he had with the, with the men on the road to Emmaus. Beginning with Moses, that's where he started. In Acts chapter 28, the apostle Paul, we learned that from morning till evening, mor think about morning to evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. We need to have a good grasp of the Old Testament. And most of us don't. I don't. I'm more familiar with the New Testament than I am the Old Testament. That's why I think preparing for this and, and going through this year, it's going to be a real challenge for me because I, we're so far removed in time and culture and everything else to fully understand, in language even. So now that we have answered the question, why study Exodus, let's begin the journey together. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Exodus chapter 1. The journey begins here. 
I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version, and it will also be up on screen. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, and all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now, it tells us that there were 70 you know, descendants, probably did not include um, multiple wives, probably did include the servants, but we have 70 going down to Egypt. And there is much more being said in these introductory verses than a bunch of Jews went down to Egypt. I mean, when you first look at it, that's pretty much the picture that you get. There were a bunch of Jews, 70 in total, they all went to Egypt. We need to remember why they went to Egypt. And to do that, we first need to remember the promise that God made to Abraham. And he made it to Abraham before he was Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, we read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred in your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. In him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Then five chapters later, in Genesis 17, we read, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. God then makes the same promise to Jacob, the same promise that he had made to Israel. And by the way, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. In Genesis chapter 35, verse 11 through 12, the Lord says, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. So we need to be aware of this promise that was repeated time and time again. God promised Abraham and his descendants that they will become a great nation and that in them and through them, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How? How is God going to do this? Well, if you recall in Genesis chapter 37, Abraham... His youngest son, Joseph, um, he had a little spat with his brothers. Uh, he had something to do about them all bowing down to him one day, and they didn't like that. And so they decided to get rid of him, and rather than kill them, they sold him into slavery. 
He was thrown into a pit and then sold into slavery and then taken down to Egypt. And after much hardship, he gains favor with Pharaoh and becomes second in charge of all of Egypt next to Pharaoh. And with God-given wisdom, he enacts a plan to stockpile food in preparation for a coming famine, a famine that would be so severe that Jacob and all of his sons and their wives and their kids would have to travel to Egypt in order to buy grain. And there, they had an incredible reunion when to their surprise, they discovered Joseph was alive. And he was second in charge over all of Egypt. And so, after the reunion, I guess things were so good, they just decided to stay. And there they remained. But Egypt is not the promised land. Before Joseph died, he told his brothers this. In Genesis 50, he says, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Seventy people went to Egypt. By the time they left, their numbers swelled into the tens of thousands and upward to two million people. God is going to bless them, strengthen them, make them into a great nation. I mean, it, it, you know, I mean, you can almost hear the amens there, right? Oh, yeah, that's great. God, make us into a great nation. Multiply us. Make us strong. We're all for that. I'm in. But God's ways are not our ways. God sees the whole picture, and he knows the best way to get us from point A to point Z. And sometimes, oftentimes, it lies through hardship and suffering Add to that, it usually takes longer than we want it to. The people of Israel went to Egypt out of necessity, but it was all a part of God's plan for them, something we're going to continue to unpack as the weeks go on. And that plan involved 400 years of brutal slavery. Think about that. What kind of plan is that? I wonder if Jacob and his sons remembered these words spoken by God to Abraham in Genesis 15. Then the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. I'm, I'm sure that as the situation in Egypt began to deteriorate for them, they began asking the same kinds of questions that you and I ask. 
when we don't understand what God is doing and why he is doing it. Why, God? Why are you allowing this to happen to me, to us? How can this be your will for me? How is this a blessing? Where, where, where is the promise? You know, I, I don't know where you are in your life right now, but I would surmise that some of you may be hurting. Some of you may be struggling relationally, financially. Some of you are wondering, will, will I ever find peace and joy and purpose in my life? Will I ever be happy again? God, where are you? What are you doing? Do you know what I'm going through? I can't be the only one that's ever asked those questions. I, I, I know that they must have. Listen, the truth is we don't always get to know the why. And why is that? It's because God wants us to trust him. He wants us to believe him. We walk by faith, not by sight. God is not obligated to provide answers to our questions. And the truth is you will drive yourself crazy trying to figure out the answer sometimes. Chances are the more you try, the more frustrated you'll get, the more angry you'll get, the more bitter you'll get. The Israelites had no clue what they were about to face. They had no clue what they would have to endure and for how long. I mean, they should have because of what God told Abraham, but I don't get a sense from reading this that they had any clue. We know because we've read the book, or at least we've seen the movie, you know, the Ten Commandments, or, or if you're of the younger generation, the Prince of Egypt, right? We know that God raises up a Savior in Moses. We know that he delivers his people out of Egypt, gives them his law, teaches them how to live and worship, but they had no idea what was coming. All they had were the promises of God. And it was enough. And it's enough for us. Rather than asking God why, I think we would be better served trying to understand who God is and trusting him to do what is right and best while clinging to his promises. That's the essence of faith. One thing I can tell you is that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you will face, God has granted you magnificent and wonderful and precious promises in Scripture. Do you know what they are? They can't sustain you. You won't delight in them if you don't know what they are. Here are just a few of them. There's the promise of salvation and eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The free gift of God 
is eternal life in Christ Jesus. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. There's another promise that we are the children of God, that we are heirs of God, that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and one day Jesus will return to judge the world and to take us to our eternal home. Consider the words of the Apostle Peter that we studied here this past year. In chapter 1, he writes, speaking of God, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, for the promises of God find their yes in him. So as I conclude this first message in Exodus, how should we respond when we don't understand what God is doing and why. We need to remember that God's ways are not our ways. That he is always working out his eternal plans for his glory and for our good. So no matter how long or how hard the journey, no matter if we understand or not, let's remember the promises of God and continue to trust in him. If you're here this morning or watching online and you have not yet believed on the Lord Jesus, I urge you to trust him today. Give him your life. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm yours. I want to follow you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins to make me a child of God, to give me the gift of eternal life, and I, I want to live for you. Tell them that. And, and then after you do that, you tell somebody else so that they can rejoice in what God is doing in your life. If you have trusted in Christ, rest. Rest in his sovereignty. And continue to trust him and his promises and in his ability to accomplish his purposes in your life and in the world. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for this morning, and I thank you for this opportunity we have to study the book of Exodus and to learn of you, to learn about ourselves, and to magnify your name. Lord God, I pray that you would just uh, prepare our hearts, our minds to receive all that you have for us this year through the study of this book. May our time and life group be rich as we discuss it, as we seek to apply it to our lives. And uh, Father, may there be many more lovers of Jesus in your kingdom as a result of what you're doing in us and through us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.